She needs this back. No love today. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. It's been a while since I've been to the 12 p.m. It's great to see you all. I've missed you guys. Thank you. Uh, but Clint is uh, actually preaching down in Houston this morning, so we're excited about that. Uh, they had a great MTA this weekend, and so he stayed down to preach there. And so he asked if, if I could cover for you guys today. So I get to share with you a name of God that I haven't had a chance to share. Uh, it's one I'm very, uh, I very much enjoy. It's a name that only occurs once, and it's a name that God didn't give himself. It's actually a name that a foreigner gave God. And yet God goes, you know what? I like that name, Moses. Make sure to write that in the, in the scriptures for me. And so the name is El Roy or El Roy. And so to, to see the importance of that name, let's turn to Psalm 139, verse 7. What, what does this name's characteristics of God tell us? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is a great description of God's omnipresence. He is always present. He is always watching. He, was, he is always hearing. And if we really got that, I think we'd all be a little more nervous in our seats. Right? I mean, would we really sin the sins we sin if we really got that? I don't think so. But somehow, in our simple nature, we're able to dismiss that concept and somehow think God isn't present when we want to do our selfish things. But he is. And that, too, ought to excite us rather than shame us. I don't bring up his omnipresence and go, oh, no, what has God seen? He's already seen it, so stop feeling guilty about it. And yet he's seen it, and his love for you has not changed. See, we actually need his omnipresence isn't about having us live in fear of, oh, no, what if he sees? It's he already sees. And even though he does see sometimes we don't do what's right, man, he still loves us. His omnipresence actually should motivate us, not shame us. And that's what I hope the name of God today will help us to see. That behind this observance of God is compassion, is love, not a guilt trip. All right? So where does this name occur? Well, it happens very early on in Genesis. So turn to Genesis 16, because this is a super important name of God that I think we all need to embrace and understand. We start with the situation here is Sarai and Abram, because they're not Sarah or Abraham yet. That will come later. And so let's read in chapter one, chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Now, before we get judgmental, I know in maybe our modern idea of morality, we'd go, that's disgusting, that's terrible. How could he do that? How could they? He's the father of faith. And we need to understand the context that this is actually very common during this time. See, because back then, if you didn't have a child to carry on your name, 
then there was no one to carry on that legacy or protect all those who were part of it. And so it was very important to have not just daughters, but a son to carry that on. And so this is a common practice, not of obviously the Jews at the time, because they're not Jews yet, okay? They've just been called by God. We, have, we don't have the Jewish nation yet. But if you look at the surrounding civilizations, this was a very common practice. I'm not saying I agree with it, but let's not be too judgmental, all right? Okay, because God still uses it. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Now, who gave who? Who? I'm just bringing this up because later it will it'll be very interesting, okay? As we look in relationship dynamics, we're going to get a little family dynamics here as we continue this story. But Sarai gave Hagar to Abram, right? Did Abram go, hey, can I have your maidservant? He didn't ask, right? Now, he didn't disagree either, and that's a whole other issue. But, you know, we'll save that for another other lesson. Okay, but that's what took place. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now, you could, without even reading the rest of the story, you already go, uh-oh. Here's your wife of all these years, can't bear children. You sleep with my maidservant one night. And she conceives. You, you can already see the tension of the story. You can already see the feelings that are about to erupt, right? Any of us ever been in a situation, not like this one, but in a situation <laughs> where you know that what's just taken place is about to erupt something bigger? We've been there, right? Hopefully you haven't been in this situation. If you have, it would be very interesting. I'm curious to hear about that. It says, so... <clears throat> He slept with Hagar, she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So you can just say, oh, I'm pregnant, ha, ha, not you. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but not wise. She's forgetting her place. She is still a slave. Now, I'm not saying that slavery is the right thing either. That's a whole other discussion. But I'm just saying in the story, uh, probably not a good thing on her part to mistreat her master's wife like that. So what happens? Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Who gave who who? <laughs> so you see in family dynamics, we all love to point fingers. Now, I'll give her credit. I put my slave in your arms. This is just a, a, a note to husbands. When a woman says, it's, it's, you know, like she says, oh, you don't need to give me this. She's actually saying, get me this. Okay, because just like I put her in your arms, but it's your fault. But, but you put her in, it's your fault. Just husbands, it's your fault. Okay, if there's any lesson you learn from today, that's when you'll learn it's your fault. Right, wives? Yeah, okay. So, so you see, human nature hasn't changed a whole lot, has it? But at least she accepts, okay, I put her in your arms, but you shouldn't have gone with her. See, we don't communicate the real feelings often, and that's the problem. But let's see what happened regardless of the situation. You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord, oh, she called the Lord card. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, Abram, like most men, when faced with conflict or turmoil or potential eruption, immediately dismiss it. Your slave is in your hands. Abram says, do with her whatever you think best. Sound like men? It's okay. You can say it. You can agree with that. I know us men hate admitting it, but it's true. No, it's all you, man. That's good. We do whatever you want. I'm cool. And, and see, guys, that's our problem. We just want to keep the peace, not resolve things. But we can see where this is going to go. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. You ever been mistreated? 
misunderstood, judged, maybe for one moment, even though you have all these other moments that were not that? You ever been felt that way? You know, I, I'm in that position all the time. I say one wrong thing, it doesn't matter how many good sermons I did. If I say one wrong thing, it, that could be held against me for years. I understand that. There's nothing I can do about it. Hopefully they'll come to me and share with me what they're feeling. I'll apologize. I have no problem being humble with that. I know I'm a sinner. But, man, when we're mistreated, what is our natural inclination? Flee. Right? Run away. Anyone here ever tried to run away as a child? It's a lot of us, right? My, I, I don't remember much of my childhood because of a, a near-death experience when I was 13, but my mom told me this. I guess when I was five or six, I got upset about something. I don't even know. It probably was nothing even needing to run away for. But I, I packed up a little suitcase with one pair of underwear and I think a candy bar. <laughs> and I ran around the corner and I just stayed there. And my parents let me be there for hours. Like, they did not chase after me. And I'm, like, sitting there all the time. Why aren't they chasing after me? Where? I'm just gonna. And, and the whole point was, you're running away, but here's the question. Where are you going? That's the problem with running away. We're more focused on where we're leaving than where we're ever going. And so the funny thing is you're running from something that you don't like, but you're actually running to something that will probably end up being worse because that's what running away does. Let's see what happens. She fled from her. Now, here's what's so cool. Is she a child of Abraham? No, she's a foreigner. She's not been called by God to be a chosen people. Abram and his wife and their future legacy were. And yet, look what the scriptures tell us. Very early on in Genesis, God. It says, the angel of the Lord. It didn't say an angel of the Lord. There's references in the Old Testament, an angel of the Lord, then that's just an angel of the Lord. But usually when it's the angel of the Lord, most commentaries believe that means the Lord himself. So that's kind of interesting. So here's an Egyptian slave who's not been the most submissive to her, to her master's wife, who also has mistreated her. I'm not disregarding that. But she flees, and God goes after her. Think it, let that sink in for a minute. God goes after her. It says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. I don't know if that's a play on English words. I don't think she's so sure where she's going. That's just plain English and Hebrew. It wouldn't work. And then what does it say? And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai. God doesn't fool around. He's like, let me remind you who you are, Hagar. He's not saying that to, to, to belittle her or to demean her. But he's helping her see who she is and that running away is not the answer. Look what he says. Hagar, where have you come from? She had an answer to that. Well, I'm being mistreated. And we all have an answer to where we're coming from. But notice God didn't end with that question. He immediately goes, and where are you going? Well, I'm coming from. No, I'm not. At, where are you going? I'm in here. Where are you going? That's the problem with running away in our lives. And you can be physically present, but still run away, right? You're running away from the conflict, running away from the issue, whatever it may be, your household, your marriage, your family, your school, your job. It doesn't matter. But here's the issue. Where are you going? Is it really going to solve it? And that's what God understood. Did he know where she was going? Yes. Did he know where she was from? Yes. But she didn't. 
and he had to stop her. Because that's what love does. Love is willing to stop you from running away from your problems and face them. Now, here's the real hard part. You guys ready? Put yourself in Hagar's shoes for a minute, and you're going to have some issues with God, okay? That you just you got to feel what Hagar's feeling. So he says that, and she responds, I am running away. So at least she's honest. She's being real. From my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress. And if that wasn't pleasant enough, and submit to her. What? No, 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 no. Wait, wait a minute, God. You, you, you obviously see how she's treated me. And you want me to go back to that? See, that's our problem is we're only seeing our conflict. We're not seeing as God sees. See, God sees bigger. If he's omnipresent, if he sees everything all the time, past, present, future, then when he says something, even if it doesn't make sense, it's because he sees something you don't. And he obviously saw, yes, I know it's bad. I know she's mistreated you, and I'll deal with that too. Don't worry about it. But the reality is you're putting yourself in a worse situation. You're out in a desert with a young child within you, you're far from your family. You're probably going to die. Running away is not solving your situation. So as bad as it may be, it's still better than running away. And see, I think that's our problem when we face conflict is we think we know better than God. And God has obviously allowed the conflict. Whatever struggle you may be going through, whatever trial or suffering, there's three things going on all the time. It's just a matter of whose perspective. From Satan's perspective, it's tempting. He's trying to tempt you to, to, to either believe something that's not true or to give in to your sinful nature. That's what Satan does. From our perspective, it's a trial. Why do I have to go through this? Why is God allowing this to happen? The, the Lord kept me from being pregnant. That's what Sarah said. But there's a third perspective. God's. You know what his is? It's a test. That's it. It's not the end. It may be hard. It may be tough. You may not understand everything about it. But in my bigger picture as God, I'm seeing all this. It's just a test, guys. And either you're going to pass or you're going to fail. Trust me. Go back and submit. Now, be honest. If you were Hagar, would you want to do that? No. If you stick to only seeing what you see. But if you start to see God's bigger picture for your life, then maybe you'll start to be able to submit in those hardships. To go back rather than run away. Now what's interesting is what God says next. He could have said it before. He now gives her a blessing. Why didn't he do that first? Why didn't he butter her up a little bit first? Like, hey, Hagar, I understand she's mistreating you. That's really bad. And, she, and I'll deal with that. And she, and, man, that's just terrible what's happened to you. But you know what? You're awesome. I'm going to bless you. Now, would you go back? I think he didn't do that because he knows our motivation now would be twisted. The motivation would be about us rather than God. So God commands us first to obey, and then the blessing comes. So I think too often we run away because we want the blessing before the obedience. If you want the blessing, you've got to obey first. But look at this blessing. Guys, this is a foreigner. And look at the blessing that God gives her. This is amazing. Then the angel added after the command to go back and submit. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Do you realize that's the same blessing words that God gave Abraham? 
that you will have children, as many as the stars in the heaven and the sands on the seashore. Now he says to a foreigner, I'm going to increase your children so much, it's too numerous to count. Is God not a God of all people? I think we forget that sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we think he's just the God of the Israelites. He isn't. He's always been a God for all people. And that's what this story shows us. But it gets even better. You are now pregnant, and you'll give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, which I think is very cool because the name means God hears. That's what the name means, Ishmael. It says, God hears. For the Lord has heard of your prayers. No. Do you recall Hagar praying? I don't think she did. She was not a Jew. There is no Jew yet. She didn't know the God of Israel yet. But what did God hear? Her misery. Let that sink in for a minute. I don't know what to pray. God doesn't care. No, he does. Even when you don't know what to say, he hears your misery. Because he's omnipresent. He hears it. He sees it. And he's going to do something about it. He heard her misery. Are we ever really alone in our trial? No. If God can hear our misery, then he's there with us in that misery. That's incredible. Now, he will be a wild donkey of a man. I don't know if you want to hear that about your child. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. How true that promise became, right? What, what people came from Ishmael? The Muslims, right? What people came from Isaac? The Jews. And who seems to be at battle to this day? When God says something, he means it. And it is true now, then, and forever. So if he's true to that word, and I know it's not the most positive scenario, what else is he true to? We've got to start believing God's word. Not just the curses, but the blessings. We've got to believe what God says to us. She gave this name to the Lord Yahweh, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, El Roy. That's the name. Wasn't given by God for himself. It was given by a foreigner to God. And God goes, you know what? I like that name. I think that's kind of cool because it, it, it reveals something to us, guys. What is your personal name for God? I hope you have one. I mean, borrow the other names. They're all great names. But what is your name? What would be the name you give God? I hope it would be a positive one. Because if it isn't, then your view of God is messed up. You're being asphyxiated by your own trial, your own suffering, your own mistreatment, that you're not seeing God for who he is and how he sees you. But what is your name for God? I think that's kind of a cool thing to think about this week. What is the name you would give God? For he said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Who sees who first? God sees first. See, guys, sometimes we don't see God because we run away from our trial rather than going through it so that we see God sees our misery. That's why God sent her back. It's like, you won't see me if you keep running away. But he went after her. How awesome is that? The grace of God. What are we running away from right now? What do we need to go back to and submit? Maybe not to a person, maybe it's to a scenario. 
But we will not see God until he sees us, which means sometimes we have to be in that trial. We have to be in that misery. That is why the well was called Bir Lachai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barak. And we see in this passage, like we saw in the psalm, God's omnipresence. It doesn't escape Hagar's notice that God saw her. I mean, if you go back through the story and just very quickly look at God seeing her and her seeing God, look at how God is described in this relationship. Elroy finds her. She doesn't go seeking God. God finds her. And guess what? If we were all honest, didn't God find us? I mean, maybe we saw it a little bit, but the reality is he found us. It says Elroy questions her. Because he wants more than just a far-off relationship. He wants intimacy. And so I'm going to dig deeper than just finding you. I, I want to know what's going on in there. What's your story? Where are you from? Where are you going? He questions her. I think we need to question each other a lot more. We probably need to ask that question a lot more. When we deal with each other and we're discipling one another, so where are you from right now, man? What, what, what place are you coming from spiritually right now? Well, I'm upset. Or, man, I'm just struggling. And we got to be honest. But then we got to go, well, where are you going? Well, I don't know. I'm just feeling I'm running away right now. Okay, great. But where are you going? If you keep doing this, I know where you're going. Is that where you want to go? No. Well, then let, if you, where do you want to go? Well, I want to go there. So what do you got to do? We, we got to have those questions of each other, guys. If we truly see each other. I don't just see, oh, hey, bro. Hey, sis. I mean, do we really see each other? Because who doesn't want to be really seen? We may not like people seeing the gunk, but... They can't see us if we're not real. They need to see the gunk too. And guess what? They got gunk as well. We all have gunk. God sees it. And it doesn't scare him off. Isn't that awesome? How awesome it is when you can have relationships where we can be our worst and still know people see us. Not for the sin we committed, not for the heart that we may be expressing, not for the pride or the arrogance, the lust, the selfishness, but they see that beyond that incident, there's more to you. That they see beyond the one thing you said that they now think that's what you meant for every time you've said it. That they see beyond that. That's what we need with each other. Do we not? Do you need grace? Do I need grace? Yes. But we can't do that if we don't see each other. Then it says Elroy advises her. He does more than just see this. Oh, man, that's really bad, Hagar. I'm so sorry for you. I hope that turns out. No, he, he does more than that. He goes, you know what? I know where you're going if you continue to run away. You're going to die. You're going to die in this desert. You need to go back. He advises her. I know you don't like the advice. And advice is only advice. You've got to either submit to it or you don't. Okay? But we still need advice. <laughs> we need godly advice. You need the right sources of advice. Have I given bad advice? Absolutely I have. Have I been given bad advice? Absolutely. But I'd still rather have advice than no input in my life. I'd rather have some direction of where I'm going and not just going off my feelings when I'm running away. Or I would have stayed behind that bush and eventually died but had one clean underwear. <laughs> At least I could get buried in it, you know. <laughs> you know how, how stupid was that? But that's the problem when we run away. We don't know where we're going. <laughs> and we're not prepared for what's there. And then it says Elroy informs her. I know this situation's bad, Hagar, but let me let you in on a little secret. What I see potentially coming to you. 
And he informs her, you're going to have this child. He's going to be an amazing child. Eh, don't give a man, but hey, we'll skip that for now. But you're going to have a numerous legacy coming from you. But that won't happen if you don't obey. If you stay in this desert and keep running away, then that won't happen. But if you'll obey, if you'll go back and you'll, you'll submit, this blessing is coming to you. Somehow we think blessings are not conditional. They are. Blessings of God are conditional. If, then he rewards. And we, you may not like that because we're in our society today where everyone wins. That's not really true. God has conditions. You obey, I will bless. But don't forget, even in her disobedience, who was chasing who? God was going after her. God is amazingly gracious because he sees our misery. And then it says, Elroy hears. I mean, he really hears. You know, you have people, they listen, but you know their mind's somewhere else. No, God really hears. He didn't hear her prayers. He heard her misery. So no matter what we're going through, we're not alone. Though this is the only time we find this name of God, it's not the only time we see this description of God. Let's look at two other quick passages that I think really encompass this omnipresence, this God who sees me in my situation. Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. See the condition? You have to be committed to him. If you are, though, look what God says he does. He roams the earth looking for you. That's a big earth, and that's a lot of people. But for God, that's no problem. He's omnipresent. He's seeing. He's looking for you. How cool is that? Then Proverbs 15.3 in the Holman Christian Standard Version says this, The eyes of the Lord, Yahweh, are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. We like him observing our good. We don't necessarily like him observing our wicked. I'll be honest with that. But he sees it all. And what's amazing is even though he sees it all, he still loves us the same. Now, the problem is, is we don't get how real and genuine and amazing this idea of God observing is. Because we hear the word observe, and we're taking it from an English context, right? And if we take it from the English context, observe means I could be just a bystander, a spectator, and I'm watching, oh, that's so bad, and that's it, right? That's not the Hebrew word observe. When you actually look at the Hebrew for observing, it means this. I'm observing, but with intent to determine what I need to do about what I'm seeing. That's God's observance. So he may still allow you to suffer because he sees you in your misery. But there's purpose for allowing that to happen. But he's watching to see how do you respond to that misery. Do you trust him? Do you not? Is it too much for you? If it's too much for you, then he'll interfere. He'll intervene because he will not tempt you beyond what you compare. Because he's watching, not as a spectator, but as someone who is about to engage at the right time in the right way, not the way you want it or when you want it. Because he's God. He has the bigger picture. How often do we make our scenarios worse because we act without God? <laughs> we run away thinking that's going to make it better and it just gets worse, right? If we would learn to just stop, submit, go back, deal with the conflict, deal with the hardship, and trust God, he sees but I'm being mistreated. I know. And my son one day will be mistreated by you. Horribly by you. But it has to happen. 
And don't worry, I'm watching them too, and I'll deal with them in due time. Who would you rather have in their hands? Your hands of justice or God's hands of justice? Trust me, your justice isn't very good. It only hurts them, you, and everyone around you. Let God judge. They're mistreating you. He'll get to it. He will. Trust me. Oh, but Derek, maybe you're the one mistreating me. Yeah, I might be. Talk to me. Hopefully, I'll repent. If I don't, trust me, God will deal with me. I've seen it. It scares me a little bit. I'll be honest. There are many times I wake up, I'm like, do I really want to do this? Because I'm judged more strictly, and I'd kind of like to not be judged more strictly. I'm honest. I mean, I feel that sometimes. But you know what? I feel called to do it, and i got to take the suffering with the good stuff. i got to take the mistreatment with being treated well, the criticism with the praise. It just comes with the territory. But i got to trust God that maybe the criticism he allowed because I need to hear it. What about you? You any different? God sees those who are fully committed to him. He observes not to just spectate but to act. I think that's an amazing thing. But I think we often prevent God's working in our lives because we just choose to run away, to not deal with it. I don't know where that may be in your life. Perhaps you have a problem with your parents. We have a few kids in here. And so it's just easier for you to rebel or just withdraw. You can withdraw with technology. You're present, but not present. Maybe that's how you run away. Maybe you get a job that's more difficult than you hoped for, and so you just decide to quit yet again. Maybe you get married, but because of unresolved conflict, you consider it easier to just walk away from it all. Maybe you seek counseling, but you don't like what's being told to you. So you stop the counseling or you just look for someone else to say what your itching ears want to hear. Maybe you even attend church but end up not getting along with some member or even the preacher because you don't like something they did or said or something they didn't say or didn't do. And so you seek another or just choose not to attend at all. Running away. The reality is where Hagar was going was actually going to end up worse than to go back and face it and let God transform and bring blessing to her life. Where do we need to return where do we need to submit? There are some lessons that can only be learned in the suffering. But God sees. He doesn't allow it to happen without purpose. Maybe you don't understand it. Maybe you don't get it. But that's where we have to trust him, that he sees the bigger picture. You know, it's interesting that it's only after Elroy's command to submit is then when he relays the blessing. How many blessings are we missing out on because we just don't submit? That scares me because I'm a prideful person by nature. I'm a selfish person by nature. And I think, man, what blessings am I missing out on because I just don't submit? Now, I'm talking to men too here, not just women. Okay, We're talking submission to the Lord. I'm not talking about submission in marriage. That's a whole other story. And submission, honestly, is not weakness. I think that's the problem with men sometimes. They think a woman submitting, that's them in control. No, you can't make someone submit. Submission can only come from the person who submits. So the power is in the one submitting. That's why I think women can be very powerful when they do submit as a wife. 
But man, we're all called to submit. Submit to one another. I may not submit to a woman's authority because that is the difference. As a man, I don't submit to a woman's authority. But I do submit to a woman's need. Do I not? That's what God says, submit to one another. He's including men and women. We need to submit to each other's needs. But see, if we don't see each other, then we don't know the need. We can't submit to one another. This is our problem is if we just attend, but we don't really have deep relationships, you're not going to see God, and you're not going to see each other, and then we can't really meet the need, and we're all just going to be coming but running away. Do you want that? I sure don't, and I don't want that for you. I know where we're going. Because of Jesus, no matter how many times we run away, we all know where we're going. If we at least continue to repent and submit to him, where are we going? Hello, where are we going? Do you believe that? Because God sees it. And see, that's the greatest story of all, is that God sees not just Hagar. He sees you. He sees me. He sees us. He sees all humanity, past, present, future. And you know what he saw? He saw children that need his fatherly love. Look at this last passage in Hebrews 12, verse 7. Endure hardship. Yes, that trial that you're trying to run away from, don't. Go back and submit. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Now, this is where we do need to understand scriptures, though have a literal connotation, don't always mean the same thing for all time. With, this was written to who? Jews in the church in the first century. So if you take that context in the first century in the church, and particularly Jews, you had solid family units. You had patriarchal leadership. The reality is, though, we cannot apply that to today's society because we don't have strong family units. We have very many absentee paternal leadership. So that's just something as we study the Bible, we need to be careful to apply this to everything all the time. The principles still apply. We need discipline as children. But the reality is, is there are many children here who are not disciplined, right? And that will affect our society, and you're seeing it. As we read on, it says, if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, well, that's not the case now, is it? You are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers. Well, back then, that probably was true, but today, we may have had a genetic donor of a father, but many of us may not have a father. Maybe our father was never there, or he's there but abusive. Or maybe he passed away. So we are in a different situation. But we do have a heavenly father. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? So regardless of our present day society, God is still the same. And so though we can't relate to the Jewish paternal family unit, we do still have a heavenly father. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. And that may be true, may not be today. But God. And this is truth. Disciplines us for our good. Why? So that we could be happy children. No, that's not what it says. That's the biggest problem, guys, is the reason we run away is because we're seeking happiness rather than holiness. That's the issue. That's why I'm running away. This isn't happy, so I'm running away. 
God never promised happiness. That's why he allows struggle, allows suffering, allows discipline, because through it, look what it says here, in order that we may share in his holiness. Not happiness, holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. That's true, right? Do you enjoy discipline? I sure don't. Growing up, man, it was the paddle. That thing was thick. Had a little smiley face on it. I don't know who that was for. I think the face should have been upside down. That would have scared me better. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. See, we can truly see God as El Roy when we understand there is no circumstance in our lives that escapes his fatherly love and observance. An observance that's not just watching from afar going, oh, I'm so sorry you're going through that. It's an observance that watches with intent, with care, with compassion, with concern, but also knows better than you the right way and the right time and the right method to get you through it. The question is, do we trust him? When you look at the ultimate misery of mankind that God sees, it's our separation from God. And he saw that. And he did something about it. He sent his son. He goes, I see the misery. But there's a greater struggle going on than the suffering physically, from the mistreatment, from the disrespect, from the hurt, from the doubt, from the fears. There's one that Satan has divided you from me. He has separated you from me. And because of your sinful nature and you're running away from me, you're lost. Where are you going? I'm going to find you. I'm going to seek you out. I'm going to advise you. I'm going to inform you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to see your misery and provide the way out. And he did that with Jesus Christ. I hope we can live out this week and the rest of our lives knowing that no matter how hard things get, we're not alone. We have El Roy, the God who sees. Let us go to God in prayer as we prepare our hearts for communion.